Hello and welcome to Ken Griffey's Grotesquely Swollen Jaw, the podcast that follows my journey as I get into baseball one major league team at a time. Now joining me today, we've got Charlie Baldwin, who, Charlie, you have a perhaps a slightly different route into baseball, or maybe you had the same route into baseball, but you sort of developed your fandom in perhaps a different way from what we've heard on the podcast so far. So Charlie, thank you for joining me and yeah, tell me about the Giants and the Giants chatter. Uh, you're welcome. It's great to be here, Stuart, and thank you for letting me be a part of your great project. It's a very interesting way to look at baseball teams and how to get into them. I wish we'd had something more like this back in my day um, when I first started. So speaking of which, um, I have family in San Francisco, so that's how I first got into it. Uh, we visited for the first time in 1998. But before that, um, I was one of those people who played rounders in school, and although I was completely awful at it, I did really enjoy it. Um, so my uncle took me to a game. I believe the first game might have been against the Mets at the old Candlestick Park, which used to also be the home of the San Francisco 49ers. And, uh, and then as soon as I went to that, I was pretty much hooked from then on. Then I watched them from TV when I was there. And then this was also during the days, luckily for me, of like MLB on five as well. I don't know if that's come up in your interviews yet or not. No, no. So for those of you who don't know, uh, MLB on 5, they basically used to show the ESPN Sunday games and the Monday, and I think at one point possibly the Thursday or Friday games as well. So we'd get the US commentary, but we'd have a great British-based commentary team of primarily um, the most most well-known version of it's probably um, Johnny Gold, Josh Chetwind, uh, producer Eric as well, and... It was it was great because you get the British banter in between the mid innings, so like you get the odd ad break here and there, but like there would be a British twist to it, and they'd explain like the intricacies like in a way that as a new fan we could understand. So I know when you go the MLB.tv route, it can be a bit overwhelming, kind of like when the commentators are talking about ERA, like so RBIs, like that what, what knowledge? Yeah, exactly. And Josh was really good at kind of. Um, appealing to a broad audience so even if you were a more advanced baseball fan watching it you didn't think it was kind of too lowbrow for you there was stuff there to keep you interested as well and they did trivia but everything so yeah so for any baseball fans that you found that got into it between about 97 to 2000 and i believe it finished in 2008 uh, that's probably going to be one of the primary vehicles of how they got into it um, but also, interestingly, I was also a history buff when I was younger. So the Giants are actually a franchise that was founded in 1883 in New York and moved to San Francisco in 1958. So uh, I primarily looked at the history when I was at uni and I had some free time. And, like you know, when you're just kind of bored, you're browsing the web. And MLB.com for every team used to do this great timeline thing. Could of what happened when they won World Series in the past, when someone like hit a milestone, say 400th home run, and then it kind of there was a description from there, and then like you could dig deeper and do your own research, and that's how I kind of got into that part. And then further on the line, um, I actually started writing about baseball as well. My first columns were done in 2012-ish, I think, and from then on, I kind of wrote sporadically on and off. And then the social media revolution is quite big for me. And about two or three years ago, uh, two years ago now, sorry, um, I became a part of the Giants Chatter fan community. So basically it started out as a Facebook group, but Doug, who was the originator of the whole thing, he had this big vision of 
let's make this a community of fan-driven content where we give the fans everything we want. So we do um, a minor league farm system update like every day. So like um, a few of us will pick out the box scores, uh, the main like which prospects have had a good day, which prospects have had a bad day, how the big names are doing down on the farm. That's something I'm going to be doing later on today. It's my turn to do it today. So fingers crossed they all had a good yeah, night okay, last night. <laughs> Um, oh no, it's not not too long. It only takes about five or ten minutes per day, so it's not anything like too okay. massive. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do like pre-series polls as well. We do live like in-game chats. Uh, we do something called Coffee in the Cove every Sunday as well, which is a one non-Giants thing that we do. So that's where we get to sound off about things outside of the Giants, what's going on in baseball. So I did a really great one about previewing the World Baseball Classic, which was a lot of fun mm-hmm. just before the season started. We do Twitter spaces, which unfortunately is generally too late for me because I do it at like half past six <laughs> Pacific time. So 2.30 a.m. in the morning. Yeah, similar to what Pete said, I wouldn't expect anyone to be up at that time. Um blogging or like watching baseball from the UK but I know there are some fans who are so more power to them and yeah so we try and give the fans every bit of content that they could want and we do pre-series and post-series previews as well and polls on the Facebook page and if you want to follow us on Twitter it's at Giants Chatter or on Facebook if you just search for Giants Chatter and fingers crossed everything that you need or want as a Giants fan is there and to just kind of be let into that as an admin as someone who gets to run that there's seven of us on the admin team i'm one of the only two non-american admins the other guy's canadian so kind of from a british perspective to think oh wow these guys have let me into this these guys have been let me be a part of this they've let you in into their into their circle so yeah and they're, they're all they're all other than the canadian guy they're all like um Sorry, four of them, uh, Bay Area based primarily as well. So it's kind of like so wow, really I'm local not... fans who are going to the yes. ballpark weekly or daily, maybe, and you're the overseas <laughs> overseas representative. Uh, oh yes, so, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So in and... your output, if you're so if you're the admin on a particular day, can is there a house style or can someone tell us oh, that it's the British guy who the let let, let rip on, on on the page today? Um, one of the things they've like really done well is they have um, really taken on like the British um, Giants fans as well because we do have San Francisco Giants UK um, Facebook page and um, I said some look can I like advertise those guys bring those guys over as well so we do actually have a really good representation within the Giants chat group itself of British fans who like comment on a lot of things like watch the lives the whole lot um so shout out to those guys as well thanks for following us and continuing to following us and having your input as well so from that point it's really great how they've welcomed us into that community like not just me as an admin but like all the other British fans as well and them and we're always more than willing to um teach newer fans as well like um questions come up every so often and it's always great to just talk to kind of talk about baseball in a more simplified form sometimes because as I was saying off air Stuart as well like I am an analytics guy so I can talk about fit BABIP um ERA minus um things like that all day long if I want to but sometimes it's great to kind of go back to that initial feeling of oh what was an RBI or why did the pitcher walk that batter in that situation kind of thing it's just kind of more of a simpler feeling a more innocent feeling in a way yeah so the, the, in terms of the other UK fans within the the Giants chatter communities of course you had the the, the luck of the of the family connections but the uh, other UK fans yeah. they got involved 
because they happen to go to San Francisco on on vacation or they like the orange colour scheme or what's, what else do you find is the reason for British fans getting into the Giants? Um, yeah, it's mostly because they um, happened to be in San Francisco at a the time. They thought, okay, let's go to it. Let's check out a Giants game because um, a great thing about San Francisco is the park itself. Oracle Park is rated, like, honestly, is rated as one of the top five five if not three baseball parks annually in whatever baseball ratings are done for parks by like anyone you'll see it'll always be up there it's a great fun experience um you can't be um if you ever go to it i would highly recommend a hot dog and what's called gilroy garlic fries um absolutely top notch can't beat it uh, follow that with a girardelli chocolate sundae girardelli are a chocolate making company actually based in san francisco as well absolutely can't beat it um the scenery around like you can get a good view from pretty much anywhere you sit and the, and in certain parts of the park as well you get an absolutely stunning view of the bay like there's very few views within baseball that would be it pittsburgh and the cityscape you get behind there's probably fairly close to it and probably san diego as well but it's just an absolutely stunning view and yeah it's a it's a great vibe and great atmosphere as well yes yeah, so thanks for those tips i have actually i've not been to a game there but i have I once took a, uh, a mega bus from LA to San Francisco <laughs> and the drop-off point was at Oracle Park. So I've uh, my first ever thing, ever time I've set foot in San Francisco, it was immediately outside the ballpark. Unfortunately, it was out of season, but uh, everything oh. you mentioned about the city skyscape was certainly a very impressive um, first opinion. And I'll be, hopefully get there again in the next couple of years for for the hot dogs, for the, for the chocolate and the garlic and fries. The, and the experience of the garlic fries, definitely. <laughs> um, can't, can't forget the garlic fries. So you mentioned, Charlie, your first visit was in, in the 90s, visiting family. Are you still fortunate fortunate enough to have family over there? Or how often have you been able to make the trip back since that initial initial journey? Uh, yeah, we've still got family over there, Stuart. Um, I was last there in 2011, so I'm definitely overdue a visit, although I did get to go over there multiple times between 98 to 1998 to 2002. So altogether, I've attended about a, a 10 to a dozen Giants games in total. And my last one, I did get to see a Madison Bumgarner start. So given how intrinsic he is to our franchise history and winning World Series and things like that, that was a great one to see. And he did get a key hit on the day as well, which I believe may have been a home run. So um, all in all, great, great day all around. Good. So that's that's the highlight of your of your 10, 10 to 12 matches. Would you, games, would you say that, that that last one, seeing that, that future future legend in his early days? Yeah. Absolutely, yep. And seeing him do it on both sides as well, because he was not well known as a hitter, but even like for someone as good as Bumgarner, like it was still really rare to see him like hit a home run or hit like a triple or a double or something like that. So yeah, it was great to see that side of it, that side of his game as well. And if the Giants were to ever play in the MLB London series, you'd be first one in the queue at Ticketmaster, I assume. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Um, fingers crossed it does happen one day um i think um they are actually in mexico playing in mexico city this year against the padres um but i think um if it did happen it would probably have to be against an east team probably giving up their home games rather than just giving up our home games um because given like the amount of money involved for the dodge and the giants i doubt they'd come over together like in a series i think they'd probably come over separately against a lesser um eastern or lesser kind of sorry i'm not meaning to degrade anyone's team here but like a, a team that scrolls for attendance shall we say like on the central side or the eastern side so um possibly like <laughs> so 
just because they're rebuilding at the moment, I know they did have good attendance when they were up there winning World Series titles, competing for division titles. So maybe something like Giants at Nationals. Good. So Giants at Nationals, that's what we're, that's our prediction then for the British <laughs> MLE London Series. So if you're a Nationals fan listening, come on the podcast next week and defend your team. <laughs> so we mentioned the pool, Charlie, of San Francisco uh, in yep. terms of the Giants, but what is always kind of it interested me or what I've not yet quite got my head around, but mainly coming from a, a British or European sports fandom is when we talk about the Giants, we also still talk about the New York Giants. They are officially in records and the stats you mentioned, they are one and the same. Is that right? Uh, yeah, that's correct. It uh, does follow on. Um, so um, initially there, Stuart talked about how I became a fan, but it's also I think there's layers to it as well because like it's not just being a fan it's connecting with the team as well because I know a few fans who've gone from one team or another because I've thought oh this is the team for me and then they've watched a few more games or they've interacted with fans of other teams and they've suddenly thought okay I don't quite fit in here but this other team here that's my team and this is why I fit in and for me like again being a history buff the Giants having that history in New York that was a big attraction big pull for me um, and the interesting thing for us as British sports fans is we're not used to sports teams moving or um, suddenly just upping sticks and deciding we want to move across the whole country. Um, I think the one example often cited is Wibble, Wimbledon to Milton Keynes, which is, if I remember roughly, what, now down the road at most? Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So when you're talking about the Giants and you also have to bring the Dodgers into this as well because it was a two-for-one deal, essentially. You're talking about moving two teams from two different cities, two completely different cultures, 3,000 miles across the country, doing something that up until that time had not really been uh, heard of either because still, even for Americans around the time, teams moving cities was a new thing back then. Okay. So then you've kind of got to wonder, how did it come about? And... The, the really interesting thing was these were two really successful teams at the time as well. The Giants had won the World Series in 1954. The Dodgers had won the World Series in 1955. And yet, in 1958, they, they'd moved cities. They were gone. Yeah, so they weren't. In, in the doldrums, it wasn't, again, you mentioned yes. Wimbledon and MK Dons. Wimbledon would have gone out of business had they not been bought and moved. But for these two New York teams, they were still at the top, at the top of baseball. Yeah. So it comes down to... Although they were both iconic parks at the time, Ebbets Field and the Polo Grounds 4, because there were four of them, mm -hmm. um, had both fallen into disrepair and it was affecting attendance. And after the 1955 World Series, the city of LA started talking to Walter O'Malley, the Los Angeles Dodgers owner at the time. And they made a really good pitch to him about, okay, we can clear this land for you. We can build you a state, a new baseball park, sorry. And around the same time, the Giants started talking to Horace Stoneham, who was, um, sorry, the San Francisco, city of San Francisco started talking to Horace Stoneham, who was the owner of the Giants. Again, the Polo Grounds was arguably in an even worse state than Ebbets Field. Uh, eventually, the city of New York did get worried about this and did say, look, we've just had the World's Fair in Queens like around uh, around that time, uh, just a few years before. We, we're more than happy to build you a new park where we had the World's Fair there because we've got this land we're not going to be using. But Walter O'Malley was kind of one of those people where it was his way or the highway. If everything wasn't 100% as to how he wanted it to be, that's it. He's he's going his own way. So the he really liked the pitch from LA. Really liked what they were selling. 
and so for him it was a no-brainer at the end of the day and also I, I believe he got to own the land that that park was on as well so then the league said okay we're happy for you to move but one team has to move with you so that's when okay. he spoke to Horace Stoneham who as I said was happened to be speaking to the Giants at the time then mm-hmm. he agreed to move at the same time so you get both teams moving in 1958 and and yeah it, and I I'm a Newcastle fan, Stuart. I cannot imagine us like moving to London. I suppose would be like the um, the equivalent of that. Um, sorry, Stuart. I haven't looked into your football history. I don't know who you're a fan of and whether you could ever imagine them moving cities yeah, or not. The Londonian Forest. No, I couldn't even imagine them moving <laughs> to. Uh, the, the slogan of the team is "It's my desire is always to be here" on that famous uh, riverfront city city centre stadium, as, as Newcastle have as well. So again, that's interesting. That. Um, we mentioned that one of the push reasons was the ballparks in in New York deteriorating. So why could the, the cities of Los Angeles and San Francisco not just create their own ball team? Was there no expansion slots available at the time? Or why did they have to buy in? Why couldn't they just create from, from scratch? Um, yeah, so but back then um, there was only eight teams in each league. So there's basically, rather than having three divisions that like we have now, there was just basically an NL division and an AL division. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were only eight teams available and expansion hadn't really been thought of at the time, but that was actually one of the things that came out of the move from New York because uh, Joan uh, Payton, who was one of the big founding members of the New York Mets, um, as as well as um, like a few others of the Giants minority owners, uh, they they were basically really annoyed about the moving. They voted against it, but the majority of Giants ownership voted for it. Mm-hmm. So to placate them, um, MLB basically said, "Okay, we're going to have two expansion teams in 1962. You will get an NL team back because." The city of New York did reach out to the other six NL teams at the time, but none mm-hmm. of them had an interest in moving to New York because they were well rooted where they were. Yep. And that's how that's how the Mets came about. Um, there was also a third league that was potentially going to come into existence as well that would have been under the auspices of MLB, but obviously that would not have been in the competitive interest of the National League and American League. So the National League said, yeah, just to keep you happy, will let you have an, a new team in uh, New York, which will be the Mets. And they kind of carried on the uh, spirit of the two former teams by adopting their colours. So hence why we have the blue and orange of the New York Mets today, the blue of the Brooklyn Dodgers and the orange of the San Francisco Giants. Okay, so um, the Mets are, so the fans in, in New York at the time, I'm not sure if any of your researchers maybe come up on this, they are all transferred to the Mets, I guess it would have been hard to, to follow the, the Giants and the Dodgers on TV or on, or on radio in those areas. So they happily or not happily, but reluctantly accepted the Mets as the spiritual successor to the, the New York Giants and the Brooklyn Dodgers. Uh, yeah, so um, there, there were still some Giants fans to this day that are still fans of the Giants due to um, their fathers, grandfathers, and mm-hmm. with the passage of time, great grandfathers, etc. So 
Um, an interesting thing was in the East Village of New York, there used to be a bar called Finities, which was mm -hmm. basically the Bay Area Sports Hub bar of New York. So if you're a San Francisco transplant, if you're a Giants fan, a 49ers fan, a Warriors fan, that's where you go to watch your games. But it was primarily very much a Giants bar. They even used to coach people to City Field when the Giants were in town as well. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you get this random away section cheering <laughs> fans going, let's go Giants, let's go Giants. And they'd be from Finities. So um, there were still, there are still some, probably a few Giants fans around from those days that I've encountered randomly, like through social media and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. Could I just tell you a quick funny story about the move as well from a fan's perspective, Stuart? Mm -hmm. So um, one of my fellow admins for Giants chat is a very nice guy called Eric Nathanson. Um, mm -hmm. His father was originally born in New York as a Giants fan. And around the time they moved, he was about nine years old. Mm -hmm. So similar to the like how football teams when they move like when the fans go to last game like when they move stadiums they lay rip everything apart they take yep. whatever they can and they say to their family right never get rid of this heirloom this is part of our family history now etc so eric's dad went to the last game ever at the polo grounds against the pittsburgh pirates mm -hmm. and once the ninth inning was over with everybody rushed onto the field all around the park grabbed everything they could Eric's dad managed to grab some of the field grass. I'm not sure whether it was outfield or infield. Took it home with him. Um, but unfortunately, his mother, seeing this random piece of grass <laughs> in the house, not knowing where it was from, when he wasn't looking, threw it away. So he had this great piece of the polo grounds, this great piece of Giants history. And because his mother didn't know what it was, she binned it. Bless him. Yeah. So how much would a, a, a blade of grass from, from the polo grounds? Polo grounds be worth now on eBay if you manage to <laughs> preserve it properly. Could be could have been a very nice investment. So Charlie, the historical home of the Giants was the Polo Grounds. Uh, so before it fell into that uh, disrepair. So what were the the key moments from from fandom that happened in, in the Polo Grounds era? Okay, so um, Stuart, so some of listeners might be thinking, so why was it called the Polo Grounds to begin with? So it was called the polo grounds simply because the game of polo was based there and played there in new york sim similar to i don't know if you remember derby county's old baseball ground that was called the baseball ground because baseball was played there <laughs> so there was four polo grounds in total polo grounds four being the most famous the one that's referenced in general that came into being after renovations to the polo grounds three in 1911 which was due to a fire so the key moments so firstly the 1905 World Series, this is something which will never be done again, in my in my opinion, just because of the way the game is. Christy Mathewson, the greatest Giants pitcher in franchise history, a well-known legend among history buffs for pitching as well. Um, he pitched three complete game shutouts in five days against the Philadelphia Athletics. Two of them did come on the road, but the third one and the Game 4 Series clincher was at home at the Polo Grounds. He allowed only five hits, struck out four, and walked zero. So that's a pretty, so, pretty cool moment. So how legendary performance? So you know about that from yeah reading about it. I guess there's no, no no surviving footage or anything like that. Yeah, definitely definitely reading about it. Yeah. Um, the next one is we're going. There were two All Star games held at the Polo Grounds in 1934 and 1942. So for this one, we're going to go to 1934. 
Uh, giant starting pitcher and now Hall of Fame left-hander Carl Hubble allowed the first two batters to reach base on a single and a walk, but then he went on to strike out five future Hall of Famers in a row, including Babe Ruth, who at the time was heralded as the best player of all time and is still probably in most people's top five to top ten right now. So in order, he struck out Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, Jimmy Fox, Al Simmons and Joe Cronin. And if you look on YouTube, a few years ago, MLB did a competition to like vote on the greatest um, all-star game moments of all time. And they did a segment there featuring an interview with Hubble. And he actually well, only meant to strike out Ruth and not the others, ironically. So okay. it went a lot better for him than he yeah. thought. And um, unfortunately, they, I don't think they've got archive footage of the game there. But in the video, they do have archive footage of Hubble pitching at the polo grounds. And they've got Bob Costas doing a kind of voiceover of what the commentator would have been saying at the time in the highlight reel kind of thing, which is a really good of way of doing it from that future looking back perspective on it definitely um so the polo grounds where physically are they is it is the Mets home is it there or is it completely um built over by my Manhattan sky skyscrapers or yeah un unfortunately um it is now a residential area there is a staircase with a plaque on it saying this is this was the home of the New York mm -hmm. Giants previously um, from 1883 to 1957 so it is still marked but it's very similar to say like Arsenal Highbury just residential now unfortunately Actually, you have to seek it out you have to know that all these yeah. all, all these favorite moments famous moments happen there yep and um one more one more um Stuart for you so mm -hmm. I've I've gone pitching twice so I'm gonna go with a hitter this time so August the 1st, 1945, Mel Ott, who was the Giants player manager at the time, hit his 500th career home run. He became only the third player in baseball history at the time to achieve this after Babe Ruth and Jimmy Fox. So to us, like when we look at players now, the equivalent of that's probably hitting 700. But back then, 500 was like the wow moment of like, mm -hmm. oh, wow, we're talking all time here. We're talking... Although Babe Ruth obviously hit a lot more than that, we're kind of talking in that territory, in that stratosphere kind of thing. And just to have seen that moment at the Polo Grounds as well, and you're also taking into account this is 1945, the war had ended just like not long ago, and everyone I imagine was still on a high, and the war in Japan would just ended as well. So I believe there were over 2,000 servicemen in attendance as well. So just an all round great moment. A great time where people were coming over a time of hardship. So for me, a great moment for many different reasons there. Yeah, that definitely sounds like it's you've got the, the euphoria of the, the general mood, the general atmosphere across across America and across across Europe as well. Uh, and then seeing this moment that we're still talking about in in twenty twenty three. Um yeah. this is my, my final question then Charlie about about the polo grounds. So the Mets have now are already onto their onto their second ballpark. Are they still um, little features that are designed to remind fans uh, when they go to City Field of, of the Polo Grounds, or is it the previous Met Stadium, Shea Stadium, that had the main uh, Polo Grounds and Giants uh, facades or, yeah. or memorabilia? Um, I, I'll be honest, I'm not that knowledgeable about City Field, but I imagine um, there would be like little nods to the Polo Grounds back to um, there. Um, I'm not sure if they have a museum or some kind of tribute like that, but I imagine there would be something there which would hark back to it. But um, I imagine for Mets fans, Shea Stadium, with it being a lot more recent and a lot more key to their history as a, as a franchise, because 
as I say, like the Dodgers history followed the Dodgers to LA, the Giants history followed the Giants to San Francisco. So they're, they're kind of a stepchild, a stepson in a <laughs> sense to us, or a smaller brother, you can kind of look at it that way. So they kind of have their own history, but they also don't forget why they were created in the first place as the okay. successor team. Yeah, so the links are there, but not as strongly as they are with, say, the Giants or the Dodgers from the Dodgers side of it. Okay, good. So the, the Giants history is it's kept in... It was taken to, to San Francisco, to Candlestick yes. Park, and now yep. Oracle Park. It wasn't left in left in New York. Absolutely, yeah. So, for instance, like um, when you get to visit Oracle Park, Stuart, like similar to a lot, a lot of teams, we have our um, Hall of Famers listed around the park, and there are New York Giants Hall of Famers also listed there as well. So, so going back to like John McGraw, Mellart, and others as well. So Charlie, so you've been sort of following the team since since the late nineties. So just looking here at the, the World Series won by the Giants. So uh it's like the first one since the move was not until twenty ten was that. Um so during the sixties and seventies, were the team successful or I mean just coming short of winning the World Series, or was the move initially seen as a failure because they weren't producing the results on the field? Um, they had some really good teams in the 60s. Uh, between 1958 to 1971, they finished above 500 every year. Mm -hmm. They had one of the premier pitchers in the NL in the whole game of Chris. Um, sorry, I get my years mixed up here. Juan Marichal, mm -hmm. who was arguably the third best pitcher in the NL of that era after Sandy Koufax, who um, and um, Bob Gibson, who mm -hmm. a lot of people might may know was partly responsible for the pitching distance of pitching mound and the height of pitching mound being changed. And they had Hall of Famers, Orlando Cepeda, Willie Mays, Willie McCovey, um, and others as well. And well, there was also Gaylord Perry, who was the number two to Marshall throughout those years as well. But given just how good the Dodgers were, the, this was a golden era for the Cardinals at the same time as well. Um, it was just really tough, despite having all those successful years, to make the World Series because this was back in the era of one team from each league made the World Series, best of seven. That was it. No wild card, no divisional playoffs. It was either you finish top and you're in, or second place. But great, gets you nothing at all. Okay, yeah. yeah. So it was the format and, of the competition and and the the bad luck of being in those Dodgers and, and Cardinals golden eras. Yeah, and the closest they came was the 1960s World Series against the Yankees, which I believe they lost in six or seven games. That was the that was one of the times they made it, and it was just absolutely painful because they were literally um, at times one or two plays away from winning the whole thing. There's a famous one where uh, there was a drive. Um, to the outfield, which literally went about a foot over Willie Mays's head, and Willie Mays was a gold, multi-time Gold Glove winner, acknowledged as one of the best players. Like, sorry, probably the best player in the game at the time, but it was literally a foot out of his reach. And there was even a Peanuts cartoon saying, <laughs> "Why couldn't the ball have been hit like a, a foot lower?" Because famously, the um, the Charlie Brown, the guy who came up with the Charlie Brown, he was a Giants mm -hmm. fan as well, I believe. Okay, good. So um, it's interesting you mention mentioned Willie Mays again, as with the, the title of the podcast. Uh, Ken Griffey's grotesquely swollen jaw. There's just a few <laughs> a few baseball players who, for various other reasons, for um, pop culture and just through names you know through osmosis. So Willie Mays is again one of those names who who I did know before starting this project. So what, apart from being one of best players at the time, what we say is the legacy specifically of Willie Mays, and we say he is the 
all-time franchise MVP, or is this someone else who, who I should need to know about? Um, yeah, so in terms of Willie Mays, he was just amazingly naturally talented. So if you look at, say, um, probably in terms of who there is today, you're probably looking at Mookie Betts or Julio Rodriguez as a comparison, mm -hmm. like the closest comparison there are today. He was the true embodiment of the five-tool player. So um, catch, um, sorry, so... Uh, hitting, contact hitting, power hitting, fielding, running, like you name it, he could do it to a very high level. Um, but the main thing for me was like every time you saw him play, he was one of those players who had an infectious smile on on his face. He was always having fun. And to him at times, it um, it was just his childhood game. It was his passion come through in real life. Um, for anybody who's got... Um, either HBO in the US, if you're listening in the US, or Sky Documentaries. And there is a great Willie Mays documentary um, that they show now and again at the moment, which was made one or two years ago about him. Um, definitely worth a watch. But just in terms of also his lifetime accomplishments, um, two-time MVP, 24-time All-Star, which is still a record. Oh, okay. Six, 660 home runs, which is still sixth all-time. A lifetime 301 uh, batting average and a 940 lifetime OPS. But a great story about Willie Mays was before the games, both back when he was in New York and in San Francisco, he used to go to streets in the neighbourhood um, he'd see the kids playing a sport, a more simpler version of a baseball called stickball. So it's basically use a broomstick, you use different um, things for the bases. So it's kind of like, um, you know, when we use like shirts for goalposts, when we're just playing small games of football, that's like, that was kind of the stickball version of baseball on the streets. He'd go out to the kids, they say, can I play? Or do you want to play a game? And obviously these kids would go, holy cow, it's Willie Mays. He wants to play <laughs> stickball with me. So... That's another thing that endears him to people as well. He was just such a people person. He embraced the kids, embraced the fans, embraced everybody. Just a top-notch gentleman at the end of the day, as well as being a great player. Um, positive stories is his personality shining through doing these yeah. things in the community yeah. and his incredible longevity, it sounds like. But in terms of the MVP, that would, and I know this is controversial to some people because of... And I don't want to go too far into it because you could literally do a whole podcast about peds with somebody and what <laughs> went on, what didn't go on. But Barry Bonds, he is the all-time baseball wins above replacement, sorry, baseball reference wins above replacement leader amongst all Giants players, 14-time All-Star, a record seven-time MVP winner, lifetime 298 batting average, lifetime 1051 OPS. Um, for, for me, um, Mays is my favourite player just because more of the personality traits. Bonds could be abrasive at times. It was especially abrasive to journalists. Um, there's been one or two fan stories where he may have not been in the mood on a certain day to take autographs either. But um, still a great all-round player, still a great talent. His godfather was a, actually is actually Willie Mays as well because okay. his father, Bobby Bonds, also mm -hmm. played for the Giants. Um, around a similar time to Willie Mays as well. So there is a close connection between the two of them there as well. So um, we're just lucky to have been blessed with two amazingly talented players like, um, generational talents. Yeah, so I've just uh, quickly <clears throat> looked at Barry Bonds on my other screen and what's come up is Barry Bonds perjury cases here. Yeah. <laughs> as a result. So certainly, as you say, we can have a full full episode, I'm sure, on uh, on the bad boys of baseball. Um, at some point, I'm sure, and I'll give you a call, certainly, to talk, to talk me through Barry Bonds. 
um, but in terms of then recent recent times, Charlie. So since you've been following the teams, you have seen those three World Series victories. So how were they for for you personally? Were you staying up until three a.m. Uh, at home in Newcastle, or did you travel over, or how did you support this from from afar? Um, I'm a Newcastle fan, but I do live on Teesside, so um, it was basically. Um, if I could watch them live, so say like a, like some of the World Series games are at say 11 p.m. on a Saturday, so that's mm-hmm. not too bad because you've got the Sunday to sleep in, like if it runs over. So I'd watch those games. But generally, it would be recorded after the fact, like trying to either get them avoid spoilers to like the night bef- night after work or mm-hmm. get them in before work at times if I could. So um, that was the uh, generally I followed them there, Stuart. So um, just do do your best to stay off social media, although it wasn't as big at the time, but it can be a problem now. And just wait to be able to watch the game either in the morning or at the night time. Got it. Um, so going into to this season then, do what, what, what's your realistic hopes for? Hopes for the Giants resting a few of my guests. This question, they've all been, uh, <laughs> Peter of the Marlins was perhaps less optimistic. For him, it was just, a winning season is, is what he's aimed for, whereas uh, EJ from the Yankees, he said the World Series, of course. <laughs> where, where on that scale are you? Are you and the Giants? Um, we're somewhere in the middle. So uh, we finished at 81 for 81 last year. Uh, we had one of our worst defensive seasons probably in franchise history, to be honest. Um, the relief pitches were abysmal from about April to set, uh, sorry, April to August. But um, we've done things to improve that. So we signed uh, Taylor Rogers. Um, we signed Sean Nia and uh, Ross Stripling on the starting pitching side, which has pushed uh, Jake Junis. And um, it varies between who's in the bullpen, but sometimes it's Alex Wood as well. Sometimes um, it, um, it's Ross Stripling. So we've added depth by adding long relief there. So then we've basically got four or five, what you'd call late inning high leverage relievers who come in in the seventh inning afterwards. Mm-hmm. And we also added uh, Mitch Hanniger and Michael Conforto as well on the offensive side, both coming off injury riddled seasons. Uh, Conforto missed the whole of the last season, but um, he's got hot quite recently. Unfortunately, Mitch Hanniger's on the IL again. But we are facing two really good teams in the Padres and the Dodgers within the division and an emerging Arizona Diamondbacks team. Um, If you get a Colorado Rockies fan on at some point, uh, please be nice to them because they're (laughs) in for a very long few years. Um, So with that being said, though, I do see one or two other teams dropping off, like who were in the playoffs last season. So Mm -hmm. I think the Phillies, given... Their injuries to Bryce Harper and Reese Hoskins, I think they're a prime candidate to drop off. Although the Padres have got a really good-looking roster on the face of it. Um, part of the issue with them is they gave up so many prospects to get the team that they have now. So the depth that you say the, uh, like you say the Dodgers have and to some extent the Giants have, they don't have in certain places, like in the starting rotation or in the outfield. Although I still do think they will make the playoffs, I think if they get a spate of injuries at a bad time, uh, they could be at risk. But um, generally, I'm saying Giants 88-74, third wild card, literally win it on the last day kind of thing because we never do things easily. Well, 88-74, that's very, very specific. But no, I look forward to, to again catching up with you throughout the season to see how how accurate your your prediction is is looking to be. Um, so yeah, you mentioned quite a bit about the, the specific players and, and the injuries amongst, amongst the other teams. Yeah. Uh, so the impression... I've got so far is because there are 
so many games, there's no time almost to watch a game as as a neutral because the Giants are always going to be playing. Would you agree with that or would you occasionally watch Dodgers be Padres just to for the enjoyment of the game and, and to, to, to scout um, how, how, how that side would work? Thank, thanks to the great thing that is MLB.TV um, and also scheduling the season. So we've been lucky to actually open the season with nine day games. So mm-hmm. generally games starting between like 9pm and 9.30 sometimes. When we've been in the Midwest in Chicago, uh, six o'clock hour time. So that's been an absolute godsend. But that is very rare. That's literally only happened like one once or twice since I've ever been a fan. Mm-hmm. Um, so generally, um, I... I am like a bit of a baseball buff in, in all honesty. Um, I do try and watch as many highlights as possible. Uh, last season, uh, BT Sport did show MLB Quick Pitch from the MLB Network, which was like an one hour long roundup show of every like, every single game from the day before with some stats and things mixed in as well. Um, unfortunately, BT Sport don't seem to be bringing that back this season, but on MLB.TV, there is a thing called Recap Rundown, where if okay. you can get on there before the games that day start. So say you've got the Marlins playing the Yankees at five o'clock in the afternoon. If you can get on by say three or four o'clock or even get it in before work, you can watch that as a roundup or the main thing I'm watching at the moment, it's not ideal, but MLB Fastcast, which is also on MLB.TV. It's more of a 10 minute, 15 minute roundup with all like the main plays from the games. And then I've got things like the MLB Trade Rumors app as well, um, which I check out, check out, I say a few times a week, just see what's going on in terms of injuries there. Cause they do a lot more than just trade rooms. They also cover like all the big stories as well. And they tend to be a bit more objective as well. Cause they're a neutral site rather than being attached to a fans, mm-hmm. like to a team. Cause um, there are some journalists who you kind of thinking, are they towing the line a little bit too much here? Could they possibly be more critical? But at the same time, they also have to kind of keep the team happy, keep that access to the teams essentially so you can kind of understand that at that point as well okay so yes you're not just sort of trapped almost in your in your giant's bubble with with yeah. the uh improvements in technology there's all these different channels and different hubs to get your get your yeah, fix of definitely. baseball in and across across the two leagues so well charlie this has been uh another really really great chat and i do thank you again for for joining giving us some, some of your time on on this easter monday morning as we record to tell me all about the giants is there anything crucial that that we've that we've missed that um the giants fans for giants chat will be saying charlie how could you not have mentioned xyz <laughs> well what, what, have we, what have we missed um we are also the home to Torturecast, so that is actually broadcast live on our facebook page which tends to be every um actually does seem to be quite time friendly sometimes so monday 8 p.m also on our Facebook page on Giants Chatter there. And that's the longest running Giants podcast currently in existence. They've been going since 2011, which again, I think I've mentioned them a few times. Eric is a co-host of that. The Say Hey podcast is based on there as well. And uh, we have a few other uh, non-Giants related podcasts that are also uh, home there as well. So um had to get that in. Perfect. Well, again, thanks very much for your time and I'll certainly be checking out those podcasts and keeping an eye on, on the Giants throughout the season. I'm sure we'll, we'll be in touch as the uh, as so September and October draws closer and we can check in on those other predictions you made. So, Charlie, thanks very much for joining thanks. and to all of you, happy Easter and thanks for listening. You can find the podcast at Swollen Jaw Pod and please remember to share and review so that other baseball fans can find us. Please get in touch if you have a story, idea or suggestion about your team that I need to know about. 
and tune in next week to hear more about my journey into baseball.